Today's scripture comes to us from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, I am not preaching today, but we don't have a guest preacher because the person preaching today is an NCF pastor, which isn't me, but your other NCF pastor, Pastor James Lee. Uh, For those of you who were here last Sunday at 5 p.m., we had our installation service for Pastor James. Thank you for those of you who came out and fulfilled your obligations as members of the church to come and properly recognize his installment as uh, one of your pastors. And Pastor James has been with us now for almost a month. He started at the beginning of this month and Uh, This was the first week that we had together working upstairs on the third floor. It was nice. He did his thing. I did my thing. And, you know, we we hung out. We said, hey, hey, you know. (laughs) It was the weirdest thing. I'm normally used to being alone during the week, and I could hear people, someone walking forward. I was like, oh, that's the other pastor. Um, But Pastor James is coming now as one of your pastors to deliver you the word. He will have opportunities to share the word with you throughout the year, and this is going to be his first time, 2016. So let's give God thanks by... Uh, recognizing Pastor James as he comes up and shares the word with us. Pastor James, come on up. Is this working? Testing? Testing? It's on. It's on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Let me also first just begin by saying thank you uh, to those who came out to the installation service. Uh, And I know there's uh, a good, good amount of you who also work behind the scenes to make that possible. So thank you so much for coming out. And also uh, just celebrating uh, with my family for what God has been doing, um, not just in our lives, but in the, in the life of this ministry. Um, and also I just want to thank you for making us feel so welcomed. This is only our fourth Sunday, uh, but we already feel like we're at home. So thank you so much for making that uh, possible. And for, um, from the bottom of our hearts, me and my, my words cannot describe how thankful we are uh, just to be here. Can we just pray once more before we hear the word of God being preached? Father, we thank you so much that that you are good. Thank you that you are faithful. We thank you for your grace, mercy, and love in our lives. Father, I pray that would you uh, speak to your people at this time. Pray that would you uh, illumine our hearts uh, through your spirit. And, and, and as your people hear the word of God that is being preached, would you encourage them? Would you draw them closer to you? And I pray that, that you will be glorified and exalted. We commit this time to you. Thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was thinking about considering the fact that this is my first sermon here at NCF, what could I possibly share with you guys? And so I thought hard about that. Um, but the Lord really convicted me to share um, just what God has been doing um, in my life and in, in the life of my, my wife as well. And we've been going through a deep, intense season of suffering for quite a while now. And we wanted to, uh, I wanted to honestly and openly share that with you all uh, to encourage you and, and also to challenge you to think differently about pain and suffering. Let me begin by sharing a picture uh, I came across this, and I thought it was hilarious. It's called Three Biggest Fears of Our Generation. Would you agree? I thought it was pretty funny and clever. But you might be thinking, you know, why is Pastor James sharing this as he's beginning this sermon on pain and suffering? 
You know, when I first saw this, I, I, I laughed aloud, but then it also got me thinking and then it hit me. Because I think that picture does a very good job of summing up how pain and suffering affect us spiritually. How we tend to respond to pain and suffering and how it also affects our relationship with God. I think in the midst of pain and suffering, I think it's fair to say that there are times that we will feel disconnected from God. When suffering strikes, when trials come, all of a sudden you feel as if God has abandoned you. You act as if God is no longer for you and that he's now against you because you are suffering. And all of a sudden, you become a functional atheist. God is dead. He's nowhere to be found. In the midst of suffering and pain, it's possible for you to feel stuck. That you can't move on with your life because you're trying to frantically process what is happening in your life. And, and, many, and, and often, you, you won't be able to make sense of what is actually happening. Perhaps you can't, you can't even simply accept what is happening in your life and you begin to question and doubt God. You feel stuck spiritually. And as suffering continues and as you continue to endure a deep and intense pain, uh, there are times where you feel spiritually weak, drained, and empty. The bottom line is that no one likes to suffer. Who here likes to suffer? I don't. And when suffering comes our way, you know, how many of us actually tell God, it's like, yes, I want more suffering. Now bring it on. More heat. None of us would do that because no one here likes to suffer. And we try to avoid suffering as much as possible. And I think we try to uh, escape suffering as quickly as possible. And that, that is our natural response. But I think our biggest problem is that we don't know how to respond to suffering well. We don't know how to respond to pain and suffering from the standpoint of the gospel. You know, this morning I wanted to share with you openly what God has been doing in our lives. And we've been going through, my wife and I, we have been going through an intense season of suffering. And I know I shared this briefly with the search committee but I, I pray that as, as you guys all hear this, that you will not, not only be encouraged, but, but that, that you will be able to really, um, it will be able to better help you better understand and process uh, the pain and suffering that you yourself have been experiencing in your own lives. Um, how God uses pain and suffering for our good and his glory. So my wife and I, we met in Philadelphia uh, in 2009. Um, and, and on January 1st, that was our first date. We, um, we happened to be going to the same church. This is the church that I was serving at while I was, while I was attending Westminster. So this was my first church. But I was serving on, on the English-speaking side. And my wife at the time was more involved with the Korean-speaking ministry. So we knew of each other, but we never, ever spoke to one another. But one day um, at the time, Shine, um, we didn't even know each other, but she walks into my office and, and she begins to strike up a conversation. Um, and not because she was interested, but she was trying to kill time. <laughs> she got to church early, and she had some time before, before her ministry meeting. So she came into my office and decided to talk to me about the school that I was attending because she was interested in attending Westminster after graduating from college. So we started talking, and then, and then she leaves. And, and I'm thinking, you know, what was that? Never even spoken to this girl. Um, but, but, but that got me really interested. 
And then, uh, to cut the long story short, um, I see her at church on one Saturday afternoon, and I came up to her, and, and I was like, would you like to actually con- continue that conversation that we had? And it was cut abruptly. And we ended up talking about, you know, school and missions, and it's like, let's continue that over lunch. And she said, yes. I was like, okay. Um, and, and then we met. And, and do you know what I did? I mean, guys, if you're single, never do this. Never. So we were talking and eating, and, and at the end, before we, before we were leaving, I, I, I just, you know, laid it down. I've been praying for a wife. I've been praying for a wife, and I was wondering, I was wondering, would you be willing to um, meet on a regular basis just to get to know each other, to see if marriage is what God has in store for, for us? I just laid it down. I was expecting to get flat out rejected, but she said yes. Special grace, I guess, for pastors who have no game. So praise God for that, right? <laughs> praise God for that. So we started um, dating. We started meeting up every week uh, uh, just to share our lives, share our visions for, uh, for, for ministry. And, and we ate a lot, but we had to do it behind everyone's back because I didn't want anyone from our church to find out that we were actually, you know, dating, that we were spending time together. So we had to actually drive pretty far away from, from that area so that, so that, we're not, so that we won't be, be seen. But this is what began to happen as we were just, you know, about, uh, as we were just about to, to, to date is that she began to get sick little by little. And, and I remember our, during our second date that she started getting these nosebleeds. And I didn't think much of it. Um, so I just helped her clean, uh, clean it up. But then it, it continued. But what she didn't tell me that for the, for, the, for the next several months that as we would go on a date, but in between our dates, she would go to the bathroom and, and come back, um, come back after like 10, 15 minutes. And, and, and at that time, I didn't know, but she was actually going, she had to go to the bathroom because she would get nosebleeds in between the dates. And she would have to go uh, clean herself up and, and, and pull herself together and come back. And I didn't know that. But as we were, uh, as we were, uh, as, as our dating uh, uh, continued and, and we, I began to notice that she's beginning to get worse and worse and physically, not just nosebleeds, but these chronic headaches that simply wouldn't go away. And, and it got to a point where she couldn't even sit straight in her class, uh, sit through the lecture because her body was just breaking down. And I remember just encouraging her on to just uh, Put, you know, to finish this semester. And then when she did, uh, she told me, um, my body is breaking down and I don't know why. And I think this is something really serious. So she took time off from school and she decided to go back to Korea because she came here as an international student and she, and she didn't have access to good health care. So she told me, I'm going to go back to Korea and let's see what happens. And then she went to Korea and she began to receive treatment. And at that time, the doctors in Korea, they didn't know what she had. They were, they, they were making educated guesses. She might have this and that. So they put her on um, a really, really a strong uh, medication. Um, at that time, she was, she was on methotrexate. It's something that cancer patients take. Because um, what was actually happening is that as the, as the doctors were examining her, um, that where this finger and this finger meets, a tumor began to develop inside her head. And we had no idea. And so, so once doctors began to reveal that, and we, we, were, we were actually, oh, that's why, 
That's where all the headache, that's where all the nosebleed, that's where all the fatigue and all that, that's where it came from. So we were glad that they were able to pinpoint this, this, this tumor growing inside her head, but they didn't know what to do with it because they weren't sure how to properly diagnose this condition. So all they did was put her on steroids, months after months. But we, but we had no idea whether this was actually working or not. I remember calling um, Shine over the phone one time, and, and I called her going to the ER with her mom, and, and she was crying. And, and that really broke my heart because I'm here and she's there. There's nothing that I can do except besides just get on my knees and pray. And, and I think there are a lot of incidents right there where she just didn't communicate because she didn't want, want me to be so worried. But there, we had incidences like that. But to cut the long story short, doc, the doctors in Korea, they didn't, know what, they didn't really know what they were doing. So, so I told her, why don't you come back to the States? Because number one, you need to resume your studies. And number two, let's, let's try to figure this out here. I know it's going to cost a fortune, but let's give it a try. So she comes back. And, and I literally just dragged her to the UPenn Hospital. Because at that time, we were in Philadelphia. Uh, the head of the ENT department was gracious enough to, to meet with us. I, I, emailed her, I emailed him, and he actually got back to me right away, which is a surprise, because <laughs> uh, doctors never respond. Um, if you're a doctor, no offense. I'm just referring to my own experience. Um, but he got right back to us, and then, and then we uh, started this journey of, of finding uh, what it is that my wife has. But, but even this team of doctors that he put together at Penn, he, well, he after, after going through a biopsy, after doing the MRIs, after running some tests and going through the lab results, he humbly admitted with his team, we don't know what this is. And, and at that time, I was like, if you guys don't know, then, then who else can figure this out? I remember being really discouraged and dejected and, and, and hopeless, but, but they were nice enough to, to tell us, we don't know, but... There might be a group of doctors at, at Harvard, at Mass General Hospital, who might be able to help you out. But you know what? We already um, made the connection for you, so all you have to do is just show up. So we're really grateful for that. Doctors, hotshot doctors, humble enough to say, we don't know, but why don't you uh, go, go here, and they will help you out. So we went to Boston, and we met with um, hotshot doctors, um, and they're trying to figure this out, too. And at, at first, they, they told us, we actually don't know what this is. Um, it looks like sarcoma. And I was like, what, what is sarcoma? So I, I began, you know, Googling like anybody else would. And I began to find out that it's not a good word, especially when you're sick. It's a very aggressive malignant tumor. It's a very rare type of cancer. Because after going through her scans, they were telling us that this tumor that had developed inside her head where this finger and this finger meets, it's, it began to spread. So try to picture like a porcupine inside her head, and then they said it's actually approaching the lining of the brain, and it's really dangerous, and we don't know what is causing this tumor to, to behave like a, a, a cancer, but we don't know whether this is cancer, but it looks like a cancer, so they were trying to do more research. And then we got referred to a specialist uh, at the ENT department who happened to focus only on crazy cases. So we met with him, and just in case, um, if it is sarcoma, um, they, would, they, would, they were going to proceed with a proton radiation therapy to shoot radiation in her head. Um, 
And, 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 and I was just like, wow, that's going to be really intense and crazy. And then they said that might not even work, but that could be your best, you know, course of action at this point. So we're like, okay, so let's, let's prep for, for that just in case we have to take that route. But he actually told us, give me a couple more months to give me, give me some more time to figure this out because, we, because I don't want to shoot a radiation um, in our head if we don't need to. So we're patiently waiting, 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 and he figured out this is not sarcoma. Praise God. Because if we had just proceeded um, uh, uh, prematurely, then we would have shot radiation in our head for no reason. And by the way, um, when I went to Korea, I actually met with her parents uh, because at that time we were, um, we were getting to know each other and we were beginning to really like each other and I wanted to do it right. So met with her parents, uh, they're missionaries, but they happened to be in Korea at that time and I wanted to formally introduce myself and, and do it the right way. Um, I, I, I really like your daughter and if, and if God allows us to get married, I would love to um, be her husband. And... And he said yes. And I was actually uh, deathly afraid for my life because he's so um, old school, traditional guy. And, and, and I remember when I was actually flying to Korea, a week before the flight, uh, I, I had this crazy dream. And, and in the dream, I was in, I was in the Philippines and, and I was just getting ready to meet her parents, to do the meet the parents, to introduce myself. And, and shines that out of nowhere comes out And he had a pineapple in his head, and he smashed my head like seven times, and I woke up. <laughs> that was my dream. And, and I have to go see this guy. Uh, but that didn't happen. So, so praise God for that, right? He gave me a hug. He gave me a hug, and we sang a hymn together. And then he gave us uh, some money. He's like, hey, why don't you guys go eat together? And I was like, wow, right? And, and our story continued. And, and so when we were waiting for... This, this doctor to figure this out. And I remember we're just so, we're just so anxious. And, 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 and there are moments when we were doubting God. And there are moments where we were asking God, please, please uh, be with the doctors. Give them wisdom and discernment to know how to proceed. And, and lo and behold, this doctor, uh, the specialist, um, who also told us that I've been doing this for 22 years, dealing with only special cases. And your, and your case I've never, ever seen. But God really used this doctor Um, to actually uh, figure it out. This is not sarcoma. So we're going to actually refer you to another doctor. But at that point, we were, um, we were growing tired and weary of that because we went through uh, many, many doctors at UPenn and now here at MGH. We got, we got referred to you, and he said we're going to refer you to another department. And it was really exhausting for Shine because she had to keep sharing the same story over and over again, and that wasn't... Um, really helping at that point. But eventually, uh, this doctor that we got referred to, Dr. John H. Stone, uh, the head of the, the, the rheumatology division at MGH, he was able to pinpoint and practically diagnose Shine's condition. Praise God. And, and it's called IgG for related systemic disease. I'm sure you guys all know what that is. <laughs> I don't, I'm still trying to figure it out. But what happens is that her... Her body, attack, uh, her body, especially the B cells, um, it goes out of whack and it, it attacks herself. That's why uh, the, the tumor inside of her head ended up forming. And it kept uh, pushing that tumor to grow and behave like a malignant um, cancer, but it was not. 
And this doctor was able to figure it out. It's not cancer. Don't worry. It's an immune disorder, and you have this. And we couldn't believe it because after two two plus years of just going through doctors, going from UPenn to to MGH and and so many MRI scans and and, and blood work and lab results, he was able to pinpoint you have this and you are patient number 13. We couldn't believe it. And now we're waiting for uh, him to figure out a treatment plan. And he's, and he's been uh, telling us through the consultation that we have something here that might work. Um, but it's still in trial, but let's give it a try. So we're waiting, but at that time, we didn't have insurance. So we're trying to figure this out. And we're so glad that God brought us to him because, because if it wasn't for him, I don't know actually if my wife would be alive today. It's because he was able to properly diagnose and came up with a treatment plan that's been working effectively that the shine is here today. But when he told us, give me some time to figure this out, we were, we were also in panic mode because, well, praise God that there is a solution, but how are we going to afford it now? We didn't have insurance. And he did tell us during the consultation that it's going to cost you, if it's out of pocket, 20 grand per infusion. And each treatment... Um, requires two rounds of infusions, so 40 grand. And she would need it every six to eight months and possibly for the rest of her life. And I was like, how are we going to afford this? And as we were waiting for um, Dr. Stone to figure it out and as we were praying to God, God, how are we going to afford this, then started in a flooding in medical bills from um, UPenn Hospital. Because you just, we just walked in, and I told her, let's deal with the finances later. And at that time, this when stacks of medical bills started flooding in, and one bill was in, in the upwards of 60000 It's like, wow. And I added it all up. It was, it was more than $150,000. And at that time, I was overwhelmed and defeated, and that's where I hit rock bottom. And... Uh, I began to point fingers at God. I mean, I mean, God, you've been with us every step of the way. I get that, but how are we going to overcome this? And at that moment, because I got so discouraged, even to the point that I remember going to church that following Sunday and praise team was leading us in a time of worship, singing, Blessed Be Your Name. I remember just standing there and telling God, God, I can't sing this right now. Blessed be your name. Like, I can't. But God began to, even through my um, rebelliousness and, and even as I was going through this pain um, and this trial and feeling hopeless and dejected, and God began to really work in my heart. And lo and behold, God eventually took care of all that medical debt through charity care at UPenn. They were, they were extremely generous and we applied and we got approved and wiped it out. And God began to show us through incidences like this that, that I am with you, that I will be for you, and I will continue to take care of you. We also have friends and friends of friends um, who gave generously because we, we uh, at one point, were so overwhelmed with finances that we started a block to ask people for prayer but also for financial donations, and people started giving generously, and, and God really 
uh, moved and worked powerfully uh, when, when, we were, when we were desperately in need, but by providing, once again reminding us that, that he is with us. In the midst of all this, uh, we planned for a wedding. And it's crazy, right? And we got married. And God was graciously enough to um, let Shine receive her first infusion um, about a month before the wedding. Uh, so praise God uh, for that. And after the wedding, uh, God led us to Northern Virginia. And, and we're so grateful because it was a big church and it came with a really nice insurance. And, and be, through that, Shine was able to continue to receive treatment at now Johns Hopkins uh, because it was much closer uh, than going to Boston. And even, even how God worked, even all the minute details, it's so amazing because the, the, the doctor who was uh, in charge of uh, the rheumatology division where Shai would go, um, when we met with him, he, he wasn't very happy to see us. And, and this is what he told us. Um, I wouldn't normally take on patients like you because I don't know you and I haven't been um, your provider from the beginning. But because my old boss gave me a call, who happens to be the doctor who properly diagnosed Shine from MGH. Uh, because my old boss called, I have no choice but to take you on. And then uh, God began to use this doctor to really um, take care of Shine. And at this, at the, while we were serving at, at the church in Northern Virginia, um, Shine was able to receive much-needed care through Johns Hopkins and went through one major surgery um, to, to reconstruct um, the, lot, the, the nose and, um, and this part of the body where the tumor actually um, um, damaged. The, her nasal bridge collapsed and it also, also affected her upper gums. So, they, so she went through a, a reconstructive surgery to, to fix all that at Johns Hopkins and we only paid $40. Praise God for that. So God began to show us, I know it's not easy, but I am with you every step of the way. And from that point on, things got much better. And, but, but, it, but God wasn't finished. And more suffering was going to come. You know, it's easy to um, say or, or even sing, blessed be your name. And God, thank you for your faithfulness when things are going well, right? But when, when suffering strikes you unexpectedly and when hardships come, how do you normally respond? I want to show you another picture, our plan versus God's plan. And I think if I were to ask all of you, which one would you choose? You would probably choose the one on the top. God, I want to be able to live comfortably for the rest of my life. No pain, no suffering, no trials, no hardships until I die in my bed in peace and go to heaven. That's the life I want. But sometimes and actually often... God uh, weeps pain and suffering and trials and brokenness um, as part of the, the, the grand scheme of things that he's doing in our lives too, to do amazing works. I mean, does the gospel actually promise that the moment we accept Jesus Christ, that all the suffering, pain that we are experiencing in our lives will magically disappear? I don't think so. And absolutely not, Right? And even in today's text, Romans 8.28, as Apostle Paul reminds us that, that, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things also includes pain and suffering, hardships, trials, and brokenness. 
And all of that worked together for our good and his glory. You know, when we first began this journey, we had no idea. When we first started dating, we had no idea that this was about what God had in store for us. Maybe I wouldn't have signed up. But through all the pain and suffering and brokenness that we went through, I can confidently say that, that because of it, that our faith had been deepened, and because of it, that God drew us closer to him, and because of it, I'm a better husband, and because of it, I'm a better pastor and a better father. And this is what we learned along the way, that in the midst of pain, God teaches us comfort, that in the midst of sorrow, God teaches us peace. In the midst of despair, God teaches us joy. In the midst of brokenness, God teaches us restoration. In the midst of suffering, God teaches us hope. It wasn't easy, but that's what we have been learning over and over again. Now, going through pain and suffering doesn't mean that God loves you less. Just because you don't go through pain and suffering doesn't mean that God loves you more. And I want you to really get this, that sometimes God's grace comes to you in the form of pain and suffering. Pain and suffering in that sense is an uncomfortable grace. It is an unwanted grace because none of us want to suffer, but it is good for us. We also learn that sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. What does he hate? To see his beloved children suffer. But he allows that for a season in order to accomplish what he loves. And what is that? Deeper and personal and and intimacy with his children. God really deepened our faith in him through pain and suffering. God really revealed himself to us in an, an amazing way. Through pain and suffering. God drew us through pain and suffering. And most importantly, God transformed me and my wife to be more like him through pain and suffering. You know, when we were transitioning out of Northern Virginia, because I burnt out, and I remember telling the senior pastor, um, for the good of the church and because I love these students so much, um, I need to step away from ministry because I am just burnt out. And at this, up until this point, I've been taking care of Shine, um, her being our caregiver and doing full-time ministry. And at, time, at, at one time, it got so um, overwhelming that I actually, in Philadelphia, I actually told the pastor, um, I'm going to actually have to go to part-time. I can't do full-time ministry because it's not fair. And, and for, for the church and for the students, I remember going from full-time to part-time, taking that sacrifice so that I can take care of my wife. And from that point on, I was just on... I was just in a sprint mode because I had to really be there for her and I had to be the caregiver while doing ministry. And, and when I went to Virginia, it was an amazing place of ministry. I was working with 200 high school students, but it all caught up eventually because I had no time to process everything and I burned out. But this is where God sent more pain and suffering. As we were transitioning out and I was grateful, uh, 
and we, we were telling each other, let's rest for a few months and then go back to ministry. I'm sure God will open doors for us. So we transition out, and we're resting and praying, but God doesn't open any doors. And this is where it got really intense. I mean, thankfully, at this point, Shine was asymptomatic without pain, and her condition was much more stable. But this is where it got really bad in a sense that our apartment lease was running out. We didn't have a ministry lined up. Our health insurance already expired. We didn't know where to go. We didn't know what to do. And in an instant, we came from um, being in a really good church and, and, and having all of our needs being met, but we went from that to having nothing in a matter of months. No income, no insurance, and we, we can't renew our lease, so we packed everything, put it in a public storage, and, and I ended up living with a friend who graciously took us in for a few months because we had nothing, absolutely nothing. To make matters worse, that's when Shine got pregnant. And I remember telling God, 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 such sense of humor. Now, now, we have nothing, right? But this is what God taught us through that season. That's where I hit actually rock bottom for the second time. Um, but, three, th- but through that uh, season, God really began to reveal and unmask some of the uh, deep uh, idols that I've been kept in a hidden in my heart, the false security of comfort, safety, how I've been holding on to money, trusting money more than, you know, God to really provide for my needs. God began to reveal all of this one by one, and when it was so painful, but it was much needed. But during that process, this is what I learned. As Tim Keller puts it best, you know, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. God took me to that place. And I'm thankful for that because it wasn't for that season where I hit rock bottom for the second time, I wouldn't have really learned this lesson. I'll close by um, going with the third point, the importance of suffering well. You know, I wish I can tell you that God completely healed my wife. I I I wish I can tell you that, but he hasn't. Suffering continues. And every day, um, we don't know what's going to happen. Thankfully, she's been asymptomatic. She has no pain. She has no discomfort. If I didn't tell you this, you probably even if guessed that she has this crazy immune disorder. And we don't know whether uh, she's going to have to receive treatment for the rest of her life. We're actually waiting for um, the insurance um, to kick in so that she can get her next treatment, which is way overdue. I mean, that's where we are. And it has been more than several years since she lost her sense of smell. And doctors keep telling us, we don't know, they don't know if it's ever going to come back. And that does affect her um, being a mom, being able to cook, being able to prepare meals for for Maya, for her family, and, and just the day-to-day stuff. And there are good days uh, and there are bad days, but this is what we are up against. But we're grateful for this season of pain and suffering because God has been teaching us so much uh, through pain and suffering, and we wouldn't trade anything else for it because of all the things that we gain through this season. 
And I want to also remind you to never doubt in the darkness what you once believed in the light. It's easy to praise God and it's easy to be on fire for God when things are going well. But, what up, but, but when suffering and pain come your way, can you do the same? It's easy for us to process what is happening before our own eyes, only through our emotions, but never doubt in the darkness what you once believed in the light. Suffer well. Do you know why? And do you know why that is so important? Because when you suffer well, you're telling the people around you that Christ is your source of hope, that Christ alone is your source of peace, source of comfort, source of joy, and source of strength. And as you suffer well and the people around you see Christ living in you, they will not only be drawn to the story, the work that God is doing in your life, but God will give you opportunities to share the gospel, to share this amazing God who is doing this work in your life because that has been the case in our lives. God gave us so many opportunities for us to share the gospel, how Christ has been our source of hope, strength, comfort, peace, joy, even in this impossible situation. So when that opportunity comes, I pray that you not only take advantage, but continue to cling to Christ and fix your eyes upon him. Because as Rick Warren puts it, that your greatest ministry will likely come from your deepest pain. So don't waste your suffering. Suffer well for the glory of Christ knowing that there's absolutely nothing in this world that can separate you from his love. Let me, share, let me end by just sharing just one story. There's a man named uh, Charles Blondin, and he's a Niagara Falls daredevil. He's a tightrope artist. He's one of the first men to actually tightrope across Niagara Falls. And when he began doing this, um, and when he, when he caught people's attention, more people started coming out and cheering him on. And he would, do the, he would do it over and over again. And one day, he asked for a volunteer. Who here wants to come with me as I tightrope across Niagara Falls? All you have to do is sit on my shoulders. And people are like, what? No one volunteer except this kid. I'll go. And people are like, what in the world? So Charles takes his kid on his shoulders, begins to tightrope. And he eventually makes it across. And people are cheering him on. He does it again. Wow. Nothing is impossible for him. But this one person in the crowd actually took this kid by his side and asked asked this little kid, what made you raise your hand? Don't you know that is dangerous? What made you raise your hand and volunteer? And do you know what this little kid said? Because he's my father. Because he's my father. Everybody saw Niagara Falls danger. Not going to happen. But this kid, he didn't see any of that. He just saw his father. And he went in faith. When suffering comes, when you're experiencing deep pain, Sometimes, maybe often, all too often, that's all you see. You lose sight of your Savior who loves you deeply and who is at work powerfully, even in and through that pain and suffering. I pray that 
if you are going through an intense season of pain and suffering now, or if you already have, that if you know of people who are going through pain and suffering, pray and hope that the God will use you guys to, to not only point them to Christ, but if you are going through something deep and intense now, that you will continue to look to Christ and ask him to show you the work that he is doing in your life. Let's pray. Just take a moment to to pray. Perhaps you've been going through pain and suffering, maybe for a little bit or maybe for a while, or maybe in the past you have experienced something so uh, deep and painful that you're still trying to make sense of that, um, that event. Still processing it. But at this time, I want to encourage you to, um, as you go to God in prayer, let's ask God to um, help us to, to see, to be able to see the work that God is doing in our own lives, especially through pain and suffering and through trials. That God often uses pain and suffering for our good and for his glory. And sometimes that is the most loving thing that he can do for you. So at this time, can we pray? God, help us to uh, suffer well so that people around us will be able to see that that Christ, you are a source of hope, peace, comfort, and joy. And let's also help, ask God to help us so that uh, we also be able to comfort and encourage as we come alongside um, those members of our community who are also going through pain and suffering, that we can also be uh, Christ's hands and feet as we uh, come alongside. So can we take a moment to, to pray? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are sovereign over every aspect of our lives. Thank you that you are always in control. Even in those moments, we question your faithfulness. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, especially the ones who have been experiencing pain and suffering. The Father, through this difficult season, Father, would you... Draw them closer to you. 
Would you reveal yourself to them? May their, may their faith in you be deepened and help them to be able to find that um, source of joy and comfort and hope through Christ alone. And I pray that, would you open the eyes of their hearts, Lord? Help them to be able to process everything through the lens of faith, that especially even when things do not make sense. Like I help them to continue to trust you every step of the way, knowing that all things, including pain and suffering and brokenness, work together for our own good and for your glory. Help us to suffer well. And I pray that, that we will not waste our suffering. That we, will do, we will continue to live out our faith boldly and to, in a way that when, when people see us, that they'll see, be able to see Christ living in us. Thank you, and Jesus, let me pray. Amen.